And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, hast found them liars. Has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, verse 4, don't miss this. I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolodians, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's go to the throne of grace. I'm going to ask Dwayne Reese, if he would, to please pray. Amen. Tonight it's in my heart to begin a seven-bar series. I, I was intrigued and I had prepared this and I've had it prepared for a while. And uh, I was at, um, uh, at Brother Ernie's church and the funeral and all of that matter. And uh, the statement was asked or a question was asked to me, has God removed the candlestick out of our church? My, what a question. I've, I've pondered it ever since. Tonight we want to begin a series on seven letters God gives to the churches. All of these, if you will, were first century churches. And um, they were in what's called Asia Minor or the western part of modern day Turkey. Uh, Many of them struggled with persecution and temptations and moral compromise and uh, some like Smyrna faced pers- more persecution than others, and some like Thyatira faced great issues of more corruptness inside the church. And then, amazingly, the church that was the most uh, envious of the crowd, the one that everybody today would consider the best church from a worldly position was the Laodicean church. And literally, it received the harshest warning from the Lord. It's amazing, though. 2,000 years have separated us from them. Their issues and what God said to them is not much different than it is today as we sit in the house of God. My prayer is as we go through uh, this series, I, I want us to... Take a good long look at our church. As I look back over the years, I mean, I've got great, great memories, very, very few regrets. But sometimes, a lot of times, I really wonder, how are we doing? Um, Lord, how are we doing? And when you're in the middle of it and live in the middle of it, 
it, it's much more challenging sometimes to, to see how we're really doing. And uh, literally that question prompted or, or motivated this series. Because as I was thinking about that, and you know, it's amazing when you start asking God, He'll start answering. <laughs> How many of you know He answers when He asks? And uh, I was just praying. I said, Lord, how are we doing? He said, well, why don't you just look at, I, I sinned. As a matter of fact, my first thought was, these letters are so short, they could all be text messages, if you will, that the Lord sent to these churches. And uh, so I got to ponder that, thinking about that, because I think sometimes, if we're not careful, we can gauge our church by people and pocketbooks and presents. In other words, we can count noses and nickels and, you know, if we got a great number and God has given, we had a, we had a great number Sunday. And, 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 and great offerings, we say, man, you know, we're really doing good. I, I don't ever want to be so naive as to look at that and say, man, we're really doing good. Because if Jesus come to church, he might say, yeah, but you don't love me. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you got good crowd. And, good, and, and I appreciate that. Please don't, don't, don't misread what I'm saying. I'm, and and don't, don't stop coming and stop giving. But I'm saying that's not perhaps the gauge that God may very well use if He walked in the door tonight. And so... As we think about that, the question starts with the first church of Ephesus. Ephesus is a major league city in its time. It was located as, as a port city on the shores of the uh, Aegean Sea. And uh, literally, literally was a marketplace of Asia. It was also home of the temple Artemis or Diana, literally one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. I think you have to understand that the, the temple of Artemis and Diana, and, and I'm glad most of our children are, are in other areas because it allows me to be a little more flexible. Diana was nothing more than prostitutes, and it was nothing more than just a, a, a temple where they, they worshiped God through um, sexual endeavors. But yet it was magnificent. It was very popular, as you can imagine. The city was a very busy, busy cosmopolitan city, a center. And, and Paul spent over two years here. And he established this thriving church called Ephesus. And later, he literally wrote the, uh, an entire book in the Bible, an entire epistle to this. Now, I know, I know that, and I love this, I'm not so sure, and please hear what I'm going to say, I'm not so sure the Lord is a regular Baptist. Now, let me explain to you. Because when he comes to this church, 
He don't start with what's wrong. Um, he starts with a word of commendation. He starts with what's right. And I, I, I thought, man, he must not be Baptist. Uh, I talked to a fellow the other day, and he's visited some, and, and, uh, and I said, well, we just called, we sure appreciate you coming. He said, yeah, but you know, I preach, I, we just don't fit in. And I said, well, what you got to take? He said, you got a great church and great preaching, but we don't fit in. And I'm thinking, well, why don't you fit in? Great preacher and great friend, great church. You know, I'm just puzzled. And, and uh, so, but is it not amazing? And we have a tendency to see what's wrong. It's amazing. hundred things can be right, but the one thing goes wrong. And that's what we center on and what we see. The Lord didn't. And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I love this. First of all, he's qualified to write it. Now, we're not talking about a novice here. We're not talking about somebody that doesn't know. We're not talking about somebody just wrote in on a load of pumpkins. Praise God. He, he's qualified to write what he's writing. Notice what he said. He said, I'm the one that's holding the seven stars. Uh, Of course, are the seven angels of the church are messengers. Seven lampstands are the seven churches. I'm telling you, what I like about this whole thing is, praise God, he's got them in his hand. Amen. Aren't you glad tonight he were in his hand? Amen. We'd be in a mess if we wasn't in His hand. But I'm glad tonight we're in His hand. And so He said, You're helped by the Lord Himself. So He's qualified to write this. But not only that, he, the quality He writes about. And He said, Man, there's a lot about this church that is good. He said, I know thy works and thy labors. He said, man, you're really eager to serve God. I cannot begin to tell you how my heart was humbled last Wednesday night for all the people that came. My heart was so humbled. I expected if we had 25, man, what a great night it would be. We ended up with over 40, 45 people going out visiting, not counting the people here working in patch, in a patch club, and I just praised them. He said, I know thy works and thy labors. I love this. He said, I, he said, he said, you're eager to serve. Stop right here and say this. Nothing that you and I do for the cause of Christ ever goes unnoticed. Now, it might go unnoticed by people around you. It might not be seen by people around you. Man brought me that glass of water. God said, i seen that. That one that you prayed for that, some, that nobody knows nothing about, he's seen that. That one that you've helped along the way, he's seen that. Those that worked with these kids, he sees that. And he said they were eager to serve. Not only that, he said, they wouldn't tolerate these false teachers. He said, and thy patience and how thou canst not 
bear them which are evil. I mean, he said, we're not going we're, we're to tolerate false teachers. Amen. I like this. He said, today, if, if we talk about Jesus being the only way, we are labeled as being narrow-minded. We talk about same-sex marriage. We're, talk, we're, we're labeled as being bigots and haters. Can I just say this? It's never been fashionable. It's never been politically correct. But may I say we ought to stand on the Word of God. Amen. And the argument is this. We don't want to offend the very people we're trying to reach. However, we can't compromise truth to do that. One of the great paradoxes of our church has been is this. If the Lord's meet with us, and we're not right with God, we're going to come under conviction. We're not going to feel good about being here. And the great paradox is we're trying to get people to come. We want them to be here. However, when they come, they get under conviction. They may not want to be here. And that's the great paradox that we have. And the ideal is this. We all want them to be here, love them while they're here. But on the other hand, I want God to meet with us. And if that means them being convicted or whatever, I'm sorry. I want this. The, the ideal is get to God. He's the answer. Then you won't be under conviction. But whenever conviction comes, you know, none of us likes conviction. Nobody likes conviction. Nobody likes it when God knocks on your heart's door and said, Hey, I'm talking to you. I'm reading a book. And, and I'm telling you, I, it's, it's just winding me out. I'm telling you, it's just, uh, I, I read a chapter and say, My God, I guess another hour trying to get right with God. And so I read another chapter and put it all over. But I, I don't want to shoo away from, I want to embrace that because I know God wants to help me. And so they said, we can't, we're not going to tolerate that. Not only that, they said, we tried to false apostles and we threw them out of the congregation. There was some teaching, the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And what this, this doctrine was is this. It is that you have a freedom in Christ. And this is, this is it in a nutshell. The freedom in Christ was that I'm not going to be punished. I'm under grace. Here's, here's the, in a nutshell, I'm under grace so I can sin and not be punished. I can sin and not, not be, God will not chastise me. Because I'm under grace and He forgives and I have freedom. And I'm not going to be punished. Does that sound anything similar today? What we have? Here's what, here's, this is it in a nutshell. God loves me so much, He will not hold us accountable for our actions. And yet the Hebrew writer said, For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. The Bible says, If you're without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you're bastards and not sons. I read this article, and I want you to listen carefully. This is, was in a very well-known paper. I want to start by saying that I'm a Christian. 
I've always been and always will be. And I'm also a gay person who is happily married. As a Christian, I wholeheartedly believe that God does not make mistakes. It would not have accidentally made millions of people gay by chance. If anything, my relationship with God is better than ever, and I know that I'm definitely not going to hell or that my lifestyle is wrong. That come out in a very, very popular magazine. And what he's saying is this. I'm a Christian. I'm going to demand this lifestyle. And regardless of what the Bible says, I'm right. And God, you're wrong. Truth of the matter is, God doesn't change His Word. In Revelation 2, 6, And this thou hast, that thou hast the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, I didn't say that. God said, He said, I, don't, I hate that doctrine that they had. And so, they had words that commended, but then there was words that uh, con, uh, condemned. Um, Jesus looked and immediately he said, nevertheless, now he's talked about all that. He said, I've commended all that you're doing. I look, if, I, I believe if, 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 if Jesus walked in, if God walked in a solid rock Baptist church, I believe there would be a whole lot he would say and commend us for. But that is not where he would condemn. The word that condemned was Jesus looked beneath the surface to see the reality. Some of you will understand this. As kids, we, we had this big old iron bed and they, all of us boys had to sleep in this one bed. It's a big bed. We'd get in there cutting up. And so daddy didn't know who he was, so he come in there and dropped the covers off, and we all got it. Talking about mattress digging, I know we know exactly what that is. We'd all get it. That's what God does. If God walked into Solid Rock Baptist Church tonight, he probably wouldn't look at the board, he probably wouldn't look at the offering, he probably wouldn't look at all the the good things, even though he would say, I know you're doing those things. But what he would do is probably look at the reality, what's under the surface, and he'd say, "Mm, let's take a look at that heart. He comes and he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. He said, you've forgotten to love me right. He said, you've just forgotten to love me right. And the saddest part was, he knew they didn't love him. There wasn't no hiding it, you know. Uh, Ephesian writers said in 3.18, and perhaps Paul had this in mind when he penned this down 30 years later through the Holy Spirit of God, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Perhaps John was thinking about the words of Jesus. And uh, perhaps Peter remembered those words when Jesus said, 
Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Peter had just drug in. As a matter of fact, one of those things I'm wondering about, they numbered the fish. There's a number how many fish they caught. And the Lord had supper fixed for them. And, and He looked at him and He said, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? I wonder tonight if Jesus would not come in and pull up beside of us and, and have a seat and, 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 and maybe say something like, do you love me more than your money, your job, your house, your cars, your toys. Hey, do you love me more than you love this building? Do you love me more than you love this? He wasn't very convincing because the Lord asked him again. Peter, lovest thou me? Yeah, Lord. Peter, lovest thou me? Now, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. The question I Lord comes and he's thou me. Do you love me? My question. I, I have thought of us that have been married. First love. You know, you would you would run and open the car door for her and you would let her in and you wait on her hand and foot and she and all of it, your heart is that said that, that that first love that God has given to us, the first time you got saved. You remember when you got saved, how exciting you was about being saved, but now you've served Him for quite a while, and somehow or another, the love Here's what happened to the church. Got distracted away from Jesus, and in the process, they lost Him. Please don't miss church. I love Church, I love this place. I'm thrilled with what I've got. I really am. But I've got to be very honest with you. Let's not ever lose the God of the church. Let's not ever lose sight of the Savior of the church. Let's not ever lose sight. Can I, can I say something bigger here than our building and all the work? And I appreciate our Sunday school teachers and those that worked in vacation Bible school and those that worked in... in, in Sake. For God's sake, son, don't ever lose sight of who we're doing it for. Never lose sight of who we're serving.
And uh, he couldn't. They lost that first love. And then not only that, he had a word of correction. He said three things. Number one, he said, remember therefore thou fallen. Here's what he said. I want you to remember darling, go to um, to a belief occasionally and eat. We go up there for one reason. Got decent food, but uh, here's the reason. They play them old We go there. Said I remember. I used to have an eight-track tape player. Some of you youngins ain't going to know a thing I'm talking about. An eight-track tape player, big old whopping box in the back. I see some heads going up and down. I mean, with all big old big old whopping box in the back. I mean, you thought you was in heaven because you had an eight-track tape player. Amen. I remember days. Oh, he said, remember. I used to be. The purposes and praise God for this. We're approaching this Sunday be August the eighth month, the month of new beginnings. Uh, eighth number of new beginnings. Okay, and I, I was going to say this Sunday, so you'll get it again Sunday. But and it might take the Sunday for some of you to get it. Amen. But let me tell you twice, vacation's over. Let's get faithful. Remember when you were faithful. Remember when you didn't miss. Remember when nothing took the place. Time time to get new beginning. Let's let's start back again. Remember how it used to be. Then then he said this. He said, I want him. Change your heart. Repentance is a change of mind and a change of heart. I want you to change it by lovingly. I want you to let me let me help you. Don't ever let any Okay, I'll just do it. When I first took the church, I don't know how it happened. I don't know exactly when it happened. But everybody look this way now. But my about what they wasn't doing. They ought to be doing. I got angry, and I got bitter, and I was one decision away of quitting where God put me. I want you to listen to me. One Sunday, it all come to a head. I still remember it like it's yesterday. I don't preach angry. Matter of fact, I'm just not going to preach angry. 
And I, I'm not, I'm not going to look to people this way to decide. When we start losing love for God, love for God, then we start looking this way for an expectation. Just help you, but you somehow or another. We'll do as long as we're moving this away. We are always going to disappoint each other one way or another. Look this way. No matter what, you'll never be disappointed. So he said, not only that. Then he said, repeat them first works. Now I love this. He said, I don't want you to quit serving. He said, don't, don't quit serving. He said, I don't want you to quit doing it. He said, I want you to repeat them first works. But I want you to do them with the right heart, the right motive, the right reason, the right purpose. Beat them. Comes along and says, I want you to repeat them first works. My, what a, what a simple prescription to fix a major problem. And that is that you need that first love. Now, don't miss this. Gain your first love overnight. This is not, you're welcome to come to the altar tonight, and I, I hope many will, but you don't have to. But that's not going to be it. This is something you've got to leave here. And do. You don't regain first love back. You don't lose love and get it back overnight. You get it back gradually. Just like you. Marriage doesn't deteriorate overnight. Nor is it restored overnight. And so it is in the spiritual realm. Again, Amen. Uh, I, I've told people many times, when you're struggling spiritually, just keep walking in the right direction. Praise God, sooner or later, you'll get back everything you lost. Just keep doing right. Just keep doing right. Is when you lose a love for the Savior. All right? So we find it's not only is there a word that commended and a word that corrects, but there's also in, uh, a word of caution. Notice what he said. Revelations 2, 5. He said, a word of caution. He said, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thy, thou repent. The lampstand represented the approval of God on the church itself. No church has an unlimited claim on God's blessings. Don't, don't miss this. Because God meets with us tonight, there's no guarantee He has to meet with us next week. You're not going to contain, we have no rights to contain God. It is His choice to meet with us or his choice not to. And so, we got no claims to that. Now, I'm going to ask the question, and I have no answer. 
How does God know? How does a church know when its lampstand is removed? Question. Preacher, has God removed the lamps, the, the light of our church, the candlestick out of our church? And I said, I don't have the answer for that. But I would say this. A church, and probably this is the greatest danger of our church or any church, that can happen you never know it's happened. Preacher preaches, choir sings, lights are on, the sound system's working, Sunday school meets, ushers collect offering, teens either get together, Pats Club meets, TNT, and God would not be there. And it would be religion without reality, Preaching without power and church without Jesus. I visited a young man several years ago. He visited here. And I said, Well, uh, I wish you'd come back. He said, I'm not coming back. I said, Why not? He said, I ain't messing with God. I said, You won't have to explain that to me. He said, We're shacking up. And I know that's wrong. And he said, when I sat in that church, God was a dealing with me and convicting me. And he said, I ain't a messing with God. I ain't a going till I get this thing right. Can I help you? Sometimes, sometimes, folks won't stay because the truth is God's a dealing with their hearts. But I don't want a church with preaching and no power. Religion with no reality. I, I don't want that. Do you, I, I hope that's your heart. I don't want that. I, I don't want a church without Jesus. And whenever we keep the, the religion with reality, and I, I use that word carefully, I want the reality being, and can, can I help you? Don't ever get to the place where, where, where anything takes the place of Jesus. From this pulpit here, the number one thing ought to be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. From every Sunday school class, it ought to be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Every choir time, everything ought to be lift up the darling Son of God. It ought to lift up, the Bible says, through the name and the name of Jesus only. Will you be saved? God says, we ought to lift up that blessed name. Always should be that way. So he gives a word of caution. He said, if we're not careful. Now, here's a sad, sad fact about the church of Ephesus. It did cease to exist. It is no longer there. It simply was no more. As a matter of fact, the Lord included this state to all of these churches. He that hath an ear. Let me just stop there and say this. He's not talking about them things on the side of your head. He's talking about 
an ear to hear. Do you understand that there's folks sitting here tonight, I'm done if I walked up to them and said, listen, tell me what I preached. They could not tell me what I preached because they've not heard. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But you've got to have an ear to hear. He said, he that hath an ear, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The little fact that churches is plural. Holy Rock Baptist Church, place, Church Ephesus. Here's an ear tonight to hear. If you can hear, he said, I want you to know this message is for you. So if Jesus come to church tonight, what would he say? Do we have ears to hear? What is saying? Do we get too distracted by the noise of the world? Christian faith is a religion of the ears, of hearing the Word of God. I believe speaking. The question is, can we hear? Now, I must confess, I've been many times too busy to hear what he's just saying to me. How many of you? Too busy. Just too busy. Just too busy. But the message ends with a great promise. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Paradise of a personal presence of the Lord Jesus. Don't miss this. Here's what he's saying. He said, if you will hear what I'm talking about, he said, it'll be as if you were in the Garden of Eden and you can hear me just like Adam and Eve could. He said, if you can hear, you can have that kind of relationship that was in the Garden. As a matter of fact, the thief on the cross, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise speaks of a personal presence. My heart cry for Solid Rock Baptist Church and for myself, just as selfish as I can be, for myself, I want to know God's a meeting with us. I want to know He's a meeting with me. I want to know His presence and His power is in this church. I believe it is. My theory is that we take that for granted. That we get used to it. It becomes just something Jesus does. I never want us to get used to that. Just like I don't want to get used to my wife, my companion. By statement, I'm done. It is tragic. For our God, who gave us his son to die on a cross, to have to beg us to love him. Maybe the greatest statement I've ever read. It is that the God who gave us his son to die on a cross, to have to beg us to love him.
to love him. We should, he shouldn't have to be that way. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed.